All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was... uh, I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Hey guys, Tim Jones here with but if you don't like ads, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You get early access to all of our podcast platforms, and they're completely free from ads. The Straight out of Prism podcast. The For Real Real. And There in the Gap. But there's way more to it than that. There's a neat specialized feed for all subscribers. Peaks behind the scenes. Exclusive bonus content, downloads, and You'll more. You'll get unpublished episodes, unedited episodes, blooper reels, watch out, video updates, and more. Or head over to teamjones.co slash podcast and click on the Become a Patron button. Please support our sponsors. They are helping us provide this platform for free. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We will get in touch and consider whether or not it's a good fit. Schedule us for your podcast or to be considered as a guest on one of our platforms. Contact us by heading over to teamjones.co.com and clicking the Join Forces button. And again, thank you guys for being a part of our story. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. My name is James K. Jones, and this is my story. And this is Haley Jones, and this is his story that has now become a part of my story. Well, finally, we've got there. We bumped. We have come together. <laughs> well, not like that. At least not yet. Well, I didn't mean like that. But, I mean, of course, it would be heading towards My that. mom used to always say, talking about people having sex, she would be like, well, they came together. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why he's saying that. <laughs> it was cute when she said that. All right, so we left off in the last episode. I was reeling off of just the total failure in Gardendale, business failure, struggling financially, struggling emotionally, physically, all the lees, <laughs> just in a rough place. And in the middle of that, I was challenged by Denise Nolan, who was my restaurant manager, to check you out. Check me out. <laughs> but I was intimidated. felt like, you know, I don't belong in that world, that she's out of my league, and just texted you randomly. was like, hey, I got a gift card. Want to go get dinner before it expires? <laughs> <laughs> and you said yes, and you were sitting in a coffee shop in Sweden waiting to meet Lars. <laughs> <laughs> and you came home and got yourself fixed up and met me at the McDonald's on Pecan Avenue <laughs> in Gardendale, Alabama. Pecan that pushes up to Gardendale Drive. Yep. You met me. You went from Sweden to Pecan <laughs> in a few short days. Oh, so, goodness. 
here we are. What's next? Yeah. So I guess we finished that date and you gave me the ultimate compliment that you felt like you could be yourself for the first or kind of like you were yourself or your granny. Yeah. I couldn't really define what it was. Like later on in context, I realized that was the thing. It was that I could be myself. Yeah. I didn't have to put on. I didn't have to act like I was anything. I could be honest and open and transparent. And that's really how you get a healthy relationship. Well, it's, I say that I was about to say that I, I knew something was different. I didn't know what was different. I don't think besides that I could just feel it. I know that sounds crazy, but also I think what drew me to you is your vulnerability and your honesty just in general, basically. On like the first this, day? Yeah. I mean, like, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. This is... And it was... Um, I had given up on trying to be anything. <laughs> it's like, I'm I'm just going to have to be myself. I can't do it. Like but that. that, I mean, that was refreshing. So um, what's funny now that all these thoughts are running through my head, but my dad used to say the the one thing or the main thing or whatever that draws you to a person that you love most about him in the beginning mm-hmm. is the thing that might drive you or will probably most definitely <laughs> drive you crazy later, which as I'm saying, like your authentic, authenticity, your realness of like who you are. I mean, I do love that about you, but sometimes I'm like, maybe we need to tuck that back in just for this particular situation. Yeah. <laughs> the longer we've gotten <laughs> down the road. But also, I mean, I know we touched on this before, but I had heard through the grapevine, I don't even know how, but through the grapevine <laughs> about your prison story, <laughs> about you being in prison. Well, by that point, my my story was public. Right. Because right. I had the Birmingham News did some stuff on it. Fox 6 came out and did an article. Uh, CBS, all local stuff. Mm-hmm. The CBS did an article on it. Uh, NBC did a huge, like, three-night thing on it. And it was it was out there. There wasn't right. no. I couldn't get away. I couldn't get away from it. It was it was my story. Yeah. So that definitely was fascinating. Fascinating to me. Like I said, I mean, I'm attracted to the bad good boy. You know, <laughs> but <laughs> not then, all bad. But then really in good, that, but. you know, it's kind of neat when you're getting that kind of uh, what would you call it? Like a spotlight. You know, people are paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah. And then you become. You know, I was cooking on TV. I was talking on the radios newspapers, all things. And you think, oh, this is neat. You know, I got a spotlight. I'm, you know, but then when you fail, the way I failed in Gardendale, right. it just kind of brings you back down to earth. Because now that spotlight that maybe everybody wouldn't have known your deepest, like, blunder, it's out there. Well, what I guess was the the public perception of a great success. Yeah. And by that, I mean, like, you know, you had gone to prison, you'd come out, like, mm-hmm. start this business, this huge success then became a crash and burn. <laughs> yeah. In the public eye. It was. Yeah. But I think when you go through something like that, because we're all going to fail, it's part of right. life. It's what we do. We learn. If we never failed, we would just be arrogant and prideful and just be, you know, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I shouldn't say that. He's he's had some fails, too. But, uh when you go through something like that, it grounds you. It brings you back down to reality, down to earth. It helps you to just understand who you are and what's going on here. But it also brings you back to a place where if you're vulnerable with your failures and you tell people the truth, it helps them get over their failures. Right. Because then 
it's like, well, okay, so I'm not the only one that's ever been through that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got a, a message from one of our patrons who started an insurance business and ended up it not working out and just sent us a message just how much that episode of me being honest about what happened, how that touched her and the, the process that she's still grieving and going through and there's a lot of financial stuff. And it is a process, but when you get through it, there's something beautiful on the other side. Yeah. If you just keep going, if you just don't quit. Right. So back to us. Here we are. <laughs> so we ended it with, we went on our first date. Yeah. I got home that night and when I was getting, putting myself to bed, getting ready for bed, it was just like, there's something different here. This is different. It was just uh like that Maroon 5, it's just a feeling that I have. And I have to say that, I mean, maybe I just, is, I have to mention that it is crazy to me even to think about now, mm-hmm. the more I learned about the business failure and all that debt you were in. Yeah. And I mean, sorry, but you were a smoker then. <laughs> and that was a non-negotiable for me. Well, that was one of the things Denise Nolan, after the first date. You mentioned this last time, yeah. I didn't mention it. Oh, you didn't? Okay, no. go ahead. Well, that was one of her things. You know, Denise Nolan, she was a Haley Jones or Haley Hobart fan. <laughs> and after the first date, she said, you need to tell her you smoke cigarettes. And I was like, okay. And she said, no, you need to tell her now because I feel like she's the type of girl she's not going to put up with that. And I said, well, if she ain't going to put up with that, then she ain't going to put up with me because I'm, I'm tired of getting in these situations where I have a woman or a girl that I want to spend my life with telling me what I got to be to be okay, and I'm just not going to do that. So she said, promise me that you'll tell her sooner rather than later because I think it's going to be a, a, a game stopper for her. Well, and she was right. I mean, normally, like up to that <laughs> point, I mean, she was absolutely right. And I feel like I knew that you smoked. I don't, I, I don't wasn't know. public with it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I don't know why I felt like I knew that. But it it's not that it didn't bother me. I didn't want you to smoke. I didn't yeah. like smoking. I never have. Yeah. But it it is even, I mean, it's just weird how it just wasn't an issue. It wasn't, well, it's wh- weird. I don't even, I can't explain that. What happened with me was I started smoking when I was 12 years old, when we moved to Phoenix City. Actually, I was 11 years old. I had my first cigarette. And it was just one of those rebellious things that you did. And that was my, from the time I was 11 to the time I was 16, when my mom officially let me start smoking, it was just something I could get away with. And it was a game. And, you know, we would steal cigarettes. We did all things. But then after I came into a relationship with Jesus, I quit smoking. And I went, I guess about three or four years, I didn't smoke cigarettes. But if you go back to, I guess it was season two, where we were in the honor dorm and everything was falling apart. I lit a cigarette up in the honor dorm just to show all the religious Christian brothers that I can smoke a cigarette and Jesus loves me. (laughs) But then I started smoking again, and it was on after that. And it is a nasty habit, and I see it that way now. But it uh, it was my thing, and it didn't stop Jesus from loving me. It didn't stop his plan, and it was kind of embarrassing. Like, I wasn't public with it. But then when I started dating Shauna, you know, that was a always a thing. And I quit smoking the first couple of years we were together. But then after that, I was like, if you're going to be crazy, I'm going to smoke cigarettes. You know, I'm going to do what I need to do. And by the time I got to you, it was like, this is just what I do. Right. But so after our first date, you were going out of town. 
Where were you going? Yes, I was going to Texas Thanksgiving with my family. So I wouldn't see you again for like two weeks, I believe. Something like that, yeah. It it was, you're going out of town to go to Texas, and then you're doing something else. Well, it was the first Thanksgiving without my dad and my cousins who have a ranch in Texas invited us to come stay out there, and I think my mom and I were doing something else after that. But yeah, I don't remember how long it was. But anyway, I remember it was two weeks. Okay. Because we set a date for like three weeks later. It was going to be our second date. And we started emailing each other. You remember that? Yeah. So it was kind of weird. Like, I've never gotten to know somebody over email. <laughs> but it helped me because I could communicate. I communicate better if I write something down. Mm-hmm. Like, even now, if we're in an argument, I can go send you a text. We're in the same house. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it, I can say, this is what I meant. This is what I'm trying to communicate. And it was just it brought clarity. Mm-hmm. But there was also something with your phone where we couldn't talk on the phone, like you wouldn't have service. I don't remember. You know, my memory is not good. I don't remember. But there was a reason. <laughs> the only way we communicate, we could communicate was through text or email. Yeah. So I sent the email because Denise was nagging me. She was like, I think there's something here, but you got to tell her you smoke cigarettes. Like, she's not going to go for that. Right. So I forget who initiated it. Was it you that initiated the email or was it me? It doesn't matter. You keep asking me details. You know I don't remember details. <laughs> details. But you, there was a list of questions, and I know I wouldn't have seen a list of questions. So you had to have seen Yeah, that, that sounds like me. Like I wouldn't have said, here, what is your this? What's your yeah. dreams? What's your goals? What's your five-year plan? That is definitely <laughs> that me. I me. for sure did that. <laughs> but anyways, in the process of answering those questions, I told you that I smoke cigarettes sometimes, and I like it, and I'm going to keep smoking them, is what I said. And it was, I'm just not doing, I'm not going to pretend anymore. Well, you know what's so funny is that as we're talking about it, I distinctly remember thinking, and I think this is, I said I can't explain, but I didn't tell you this, and I didn't even feel like I needed to stress about it. Yeah. But I just thought to myself, he'll stop. (laughs) I don't know why. I just felt like I knew that. I didn't know how. Typical woman. Or when, but it's just like, you know, yeah, I just knew that you were going to. Typical wife material. (laughs) (laughs) How is that typical wife material? Like you just, you know, they say the man is the head of the family, but the woman's the neck. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I didn't really even say anything to you about smoking at all to like try to influence you or get you to stop or anything. You said bummer. You said that's a bummer. Oh, that's a bummer. Like you you didn't really like it. You're like, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. But, you know, let's keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so we spent the first two weeks after that first date communicating through texts and emails. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a second or third day after I felt like I just need to get it all out. Like, I don't, I feel like there's something different about this girl. I mean, she's beautiful. I'm attracted to her, but I know she's out of my league. And if she really knew like where I come from, what I've been through, you know, just who I am, I'm, I'm Alabama through and through convicted felon, (laughs) cigarette smoker, felon, Uh, almost bankrupt, uh, overweight, you know, all the things. So I had been working on writing my story. And it was something like I didn't just sit down and say, I'm just going to do this all at once. But it had been a couple years I've been working on a document just on my computer, just writing down just all the, basically straight out of prison podcast, what we did season one, Mm -hmm. or season one, season two. And I just had a thought, if I could just send her this, she would know everything. And then that could either be the end of it or we can move on. Mm-hmm. And I attached that document to an email <laughs> and put in my email, put in your email address. And as soon as I hit send, like, I was just like, 
oh, God, what did I do? <laughs> like, this was too much, too fast. Like, what did I do? And sent it. But then I was like, well, at least it's all out there. She can know everything about me, know who I am, and then we'll see what happens. So what happened when you read that email? <laughs> we'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. I was like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> but it was also like a riveting story, you know. But I, you know. But tell was... the truth. Was there, you read the story. You found out I was a cigarette smoker. I was almost bankrupt. And then you read all the bad and the ugly stuff about me. Well, I have to say that, like, you know, you go into prison and um, the drugs and the all that stuff <laughs> was probably less of a thing for me than the smoking thing. Really? Yeah, because it had been, you know, we're talking about it had been several years ago, and there was evidence of, I guess, you know, how you'd come out and start again. And so I wasn't fresh out of prison. I had like a 13 years under my belt. Right. I mean, even if it had just been five years ago, it would have been like, eek, maybe we should pop the brakes. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe we need a good 10 years. Like, <laughs> um, Give me a decade. We'll be good. Um. But, yeah, I just felt like there was enough time that had gone by and mm-hmm. enough, you know, just evidence that you were different and changed and new. And um, I felt like your story and how I was seeing you then was evidence of that. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I mean, the current stuff was probably more, you know, would have been more of it I would have taken issue with more. So there was no it. hesitation, none of that on your part? Mm, no. That's That's... Knowing you now, <laughs> I know. I guess just it's crazy that you would even give me a, an opportunity to <laughs> date you. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. It is a little crazy. I'm not gonna. <laughs> but at the you know at the time there was just such peace, like, and there was such like. But it was weird because how I felt was different in terms of, and it's also different to me in a lot of stories that I hear of other people. Yeah, where you're just like crazy in love and like I've been looking so crazy right um, now how there's just like you know passion boiling over like I'm gonna die if I don't be with you there was not any of that I mean not to say I mean 
it sounds bad when I say that, but it wasn't bad. No. It was exciting. And there was, like you coined joyful anticipation mm-hmm. we talked about last time. But it was just like a steady, I, I, I can't explain it, like a steady. It was peace. There peace. was peace. Yeah. And like the the joy that I felt is actually the biblical definition of joy mm-hmm. that God gives you. Like the fruit of the Spirit yeah. is love, joy, peace. Literal definition of joy is not that crazy, I'm going to die if I can't be with you, you know, off the walls, hanging from the chandeliers, jumping up and down on couches. It is, the definition is a calm delight. I like that, yeah. And, you know. A calm I, delight, I feel like, is a perfect description. Well, I'd studied so much of that stuff for all those years. was like, I've never experienced a calm delight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had the... The uh, unhealthy stuff with Shauna where I would, you know, do anything, you know, I'll die if I don't be with you. I'll do everything for you. And then, you know, I've been through the stuff with Karina and I dated a little bit off and on, but it had never been like this. This was different. And hindsight for me is looking back, it just seems like what was the plan with a capital P? Yeah. Destiny, fate, however you want to put it. Yeah. It was just like, this is what's supposed to happen, and the pieces <laughs> are just falling into place. And every day during that time, it just seemed crazy. Like, this this can't be happening, because I'm not working for this. I'm not making this happen. It's just happening, and I don't really understand what's happening. And I love it, and it's exciting, and I'm joyful, and I'm anticipating something. I don't know what, but... uh that's how it was. Yeah, and also, I mean, just in lieu of you know what was happening with your finances and the close of Gardendale and mm-hmm. and and Kairos and all that, I can imagine because I didn't know the extent of that, mm-hmm. you know, nor did I care really at that time. Or I just, could, <laughs> I just, it's funny to me now. I mean, that too is crazy because knowing, you know, we've been through through some financial like heaviness and worry and. You know, feeling the weight of that, I, yeah. you know, I feel. But, like, and I know you were feeling that then, but I was not feeling that. Yeah, you weren't feeling it at all. But I can imagine how, for you, I'm just empathizing now to feel like, oh, I'm liking this girl, and I'm thinking I'm going to marry her. I wasn't thinking that after the first date. I just You said you were a second date. We hadn't got to second date. <laughs> okay. I, I was just thinking this is this is neat, this is too much, and this can't continue like this is not gonna work out for me with this girl there's no way it's not gonna work out so we did our email and back and forth texting all things i think you texted me you texted me some recipes some pictures of your cousin's ranch in texas and just your holiday yeah but up to this point i didn't know anyone in your family i had met your brother at one of your business meetings that Mm -hmm. being i thing. i met him one time but I didn't know him. Right. It's like, hey, I'm Hobie. Okay, I'm James. Good yeah. to meet you. But uh, let's talk about our second date. So you came home. Mm-hmm. And what so, was the name of the place we went? We went to some restaurant. You let me choose. You recommended it, and I remember I actually told Jeremy, like, if this continues, like, I'm gonna have to get a second job because I can't afford stuff like this. <laughs> but you, uh, you want to go to Ali Irene? It was that's a little, what it was, Ali Irene. And the reason I chose that is because it was in Mountain Brook. It was in Mountain Brook because I had gone there a couple of times with my dad and mom, mm-hmm. and it was nostalgic. It just yeah, and I still do that sometimes. I mean, I like places because I know I was there with my dad or yeah, or my mom. So that's why I chose that, and it was good food, obviously. 
So, yeah, we went there. But the thing I remember about the second date mm-hmm. is walking because there was a wait. We walked around the block or For whatever. about an hour. Yeah. But that's when we discovered that I moved to, it was during that walk before dinner, where we discovered that I moved to Alabama on your birthday. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. I remember exactly where we were, too. And Well, just to set, just so you guys can understand, this is the Mountain Brook Village. It's like a little, I felt like I was in a movie. Like, I'm in a movie, this is, I'm acting, <laughs> and this girl's an actor, and she's acting interested in me, and she's telling me all things, but it was like, really, this is really happening. And I don't know, that was uh, just that little stroll we took, well, probably 45 minutes to an hour. Because I let you, well, just to back up, I let you pick me up this time. Yeah. Round two, you may pick me up. Oh, and I was very intimidated by that, too. Yeah. So your your mom lived in Mount Olive, which is like Gardendale's north of Birmingham, mm-hmm. which is a city. And then Mount Olive's just like out in the country. It's just a little community. So all I knew of Mount Olive was that it was down Mount Olive Road. And <laughs> naturally, there, there was a lot of woods, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, little houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but nothing... From my perspective, nothing to be impressed with with that area. And you gave me the address, I put it in my GPS, and you told me my mom's house is different. When you're riding down her road, there are houses that are up front. Her house is to the back, and if you miss the driveway, you'll miss it because you can't see the house from the mm-hmm. road. So I pull into the neighborhood, and I was like, wow, these are nice. These are beautiful home. I didn't even know all this was back here. Just beautiful houses, beautiful neighborhoods, beautiful yards, you know, all the things. And then I got I did get confused when I got to your mom's driveway because you couldn't tell which driveway it was. Right. And when I finally got in the driveway and started going down, it was like all the other houses in the neighborhood paled in comparison to, to <laughs> your mom's house. It was like a mansion set back in the woods, you know, three stories, like brick. And I was totally flabbergasted. Like, what is happening? <laughs> like, where am I at the White House or, you know, I don't, <laughs> so this is crazy. No, but I mean, mm-hmm. coming from my perspective, like, it was it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you told me that you live in an apartment on the basement level, and you told me the way to get you was to go left or right. Anyway, you gave me the wrong directions. <laughs> and so I was lost. There was doors everywhere, lights. And so I finally found my way around. And I don't think you didn't invite me in. You opened the door and... Came out. Mm-hmm. So, but I was very intimidated, just for the record, very intimidated by your mom's house because yeah. it was, I mean, it's a nice house, but yeah. I can see that. I mean, you have, like when you're looking at this story from the lens of, you know, your story and yeah. everything you had just been through, especially. I mean, I just know, like, when I have like failed big or like I'm just feeling like I messed something up, it seems like. You know, every everyone else's like successes or good things seem yeah. to be highlighted, yeah, or even bigger. <laughs> you know, well, not just that that part of it's just coming from where I came from. Yeah. You know, the first house I bought was you know three thousand square feet. It was a townhouse, and I thought that was tip, tip of, of the <laughs> the top of the mountain. You know, that yeah. was everything. But my first house that I bought could have fit in her garage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not, I'm not saying it's not about houses and things, but it was I was very intimidated, right, right, by just looking at it and saying, "This is not my world. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know how I got here." And Jesus, if you want, you know, yeah, help a brother out. So, okay, so yeah, you picked me up. We went to dinner. We had the stroll. 
It was a really nice dinner. Was there something during dinner that you remember that we talked about? I did note that I did something different than I'd ever done before. Was I wrote down a list of questions that I want oh, to ask you? Okay, because uh, I wanted to keep going, and there was something about you asking me questions that got us going. And I'll be honest, Denise was helping me with the questions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, when you got up to go to the bathroom, I texted her and told her that the me smoking cigarettes didn't Run end me it, off end it for you. Yeah. So she was excited about that, but then she was like, "Well, you still need to quit smoking." So I was like, "You're not my mother." <laughs> um, but it was a really nice dinner. And another thing that was weird about our relationship when it started, I didn't tell anybody. I mean, Denise knew. I think Jeremy knew because they worked with me. But, like, I didn't tell anybody. I was on a date. You know, social media was big during that time. I took a picture of our food again that night and was kind of leaving people hanging on who I was having dinner with. And it had become a thing. People were texting me wanting to know. You were teasing. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was your brother-in-law, Sean McQuinn, that I did not know. I did not know. I'd never met him that I knew of. But we were friends on Facebook somehow, and he commented on it. It was like, hey, James, who are you out to dinner with? Uh, and uh, so that was neat. Yeah. But uh, so that was the second date. After I took you home that night, I knew that I was going to marry you. <laughs> I didn't know how. I did not know how this was going to happen, how it was going to work out. But after that second date, I knew. It was It was weird. It was just, uh, it was weird. (laughs) So what was neat about that second date, too, is that when he took me home, I had this, it was like an iron, like, carved sign. I don't know how to say it, but it was, like, all made out of iron. And it was the verse, not the whole verse, but just Jeremiah 29, 11. Spelled out. Spelled out. And, um, And my dad had gotten it for me. At some point, of course, I don't remember, but it was special. Mm-hmm. And of course, my dad was in heaven now. Yeah. And I felt like I was supposed to give that to you. Well, you did on the third day, which I was annoyed <laughs> by because I really loved it. And anyone that's had someone go to heaven, you know, you really yeah, like special. Oh, I mean, you just like cherish the things and well, memories and things, and you know. So why don't we say what Jeremiah twenty? Did I not is? give that to you that night? No. Oh, it was okay. I was thinking I did. Maybe it was in my head that I knew that I should that night. I actually, when I opened the door and I didn't kiss you, I didn't do, I didn't try to touch you, I didn't try to do anything. I just dropped you off, which was the door. good. Well, I didn't know. I felt like don't push her. Don't just keep. Yeah, because I do not like that. Really? <laughs> I would not. Well, I mean, I would not have liked. On the second date, no, I don't think I would. I would have been like, mm, let's not do that. Okay, <laughs> let's wait a minute. <laughs> well, when you opened the door, so that you didn't invite me in again, and I, but I could see you in your apartment, mm-hmm. and that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven thing was hanging over the door, mm-hmm. going into the bedroom, so you could see it from the door, and I did see it. And should we say what Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is for people that don't know? Well, yeah, everybody don't know what that is. That's true. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans for peace and not for disaster, plans to give you... A what? future and a hope. future and a hope. It's a beautiful verse. It was uh, a verse that I found when I was in prison, and it really told my story because it was said to the Israelites who were in captivity. And, you know, I was in captivity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was <laughs> against my will. But the verse after that, 29.12, says, You will find me, you will seek me, and you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. And I'll be found by you, and I will set you free, and I'll do all the things. 
And that's had always been my verse. That's my life verse. Which is neat because from high school on, which is probably when you were imprisoned about that time, (laughs) you know, I kind of declared that as my verse. That was your life. And my parents, yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't in prison, I wasn't in captivity. (laughs) You're using a private Christian school. That's kind of like prison. (laughs) (laughs) No. So, um, but yeah, that just became like a kind of a mantra and a verse for me, which is why my dad bought it for me, you know, a few years prior to that. So, so fast forward, second date. Well, hold on. I think the why that's etched in my mind for that night, because I think that night I knew I was supposed to give that to you. Okay. I didn't give it to you till the next time, but that night I knew, which I was like, oh, Dang it. So the next Friday, we were trying to plan another date, but it was my Christmas party for Kairos for my staff. And this was something I did every year. It was uh, a cook for everybody. And I had a tradition of I would write out like a page. You know, we're celebrating our fifth year. I think by this time we're celebrating our eighth year. Mm-hmm. And I would pick one word that described them and what I appreciated about them and read it to them and then give it to them. Which is crazy to me because that's what my dad did for his team and staff. Like the prior Christmas. But you said he did three words. I just did one. Well, it doesn't matter. The whole like <laughs> word thing where he chose like words, yeah. like a few words, one mm-hmm. or two or three, however many it was, mm-hmm. that described. Actually, I think it was one word because then I used three words for my dad at his memorial. But anyway. Details. He did the same thing with his team and staff, which was that's crazy. crazy. And he read it out. He thought about it, wrote it out, read it out at, at the Christmas party that he had the pre- previous really? year. Yeah, to his team. That's weird. I know. And so anyway. It's well, I hesitated to invite you to this because I knew I was going to be doing that. Well, and also because, I mean, to me, just like, because it's obvious, if you invite a girl to that, I mean, that's making it a thing. And it's kind of, but it's kind of vulnerable for me to invite you to, I'm going to be being vulnerable with my staff. And this was the year where it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies and all the good things. This was a year where I was having to say thank you for staying, sticking by me and pushing through. And, you know, we'd just been through an incredibly hard season. But you had, I mean, sent me the book about your <laughs> that was in the imprisonment past. and drugs. So I feel like, I mean, it's all uphill from here, right? <laughs> well, but that was in the past. I was still dealing with right. like, the president. I had a lot that I was dealing with. But uh, I remember you came, and that was the first time you met anybody in my circle, really, besides Denise. And the funniest thing happened, and I'll go ahead and say this on here since we're keeping it real, but I don't want anybody to be offended by what I'm about to say. But it might offend you, but don't. <laughs> you can't tell people what to feel. Okay, I'm just going to say what I thought. <laughs> so you came in. You didn't wear clothes that I saw anybody else wearing. <laughs> <laughs> like, everything, every time we had a date, every time I saw you, and this was before we were dating, when you were, when I was had Kairos and Garndale, you would come in and you were like... Uh, Gazelle Bunchkin, or what? How you say? How you say Tom Brady's wife Bun- Bunchuchin? Gazelle? I don't know. No, that's an animal. Gazelle? I don't know. Whatever. I still had my European flair, which I really want to go back to. Side you, note. Okay, go ahead. You had like a supermodel air to you, like you weren't wearing stuff that I'd ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> that I'd ever seen. <laughs> so you came in and you were beautiful that night. You were all fixed up. You had. You know, red lips, your hair was up in the bun, all fixed up. But you had on, like, some silk pants and high heels. Silk pants? Well, I don't know. They were shiny, uh, silky. 
But you had on this this shirt that was like solid over your body. Can I say what it was? Yeah. Okay, so it was like a tank top with like a a lace overlay, but it was navy. Okay, I wouldn't know what that means. Okay, so it was like a lace and mesh like overlay. So, I mean, it's like a thing. Okay. For those ladies that know anthropology, (laughs) it was anthropology's finest. Well, anyways, on your arms, it was like this fabric that was, I guess that would be lace? Well, it was like... I thought lace was white. This was not a white shirt. It was like a black or blue shirt. It was where, you know, you have the part that you can see through a little bit, but then you have the woven... Other pieces. (laughs) So you said... We're doing a terrible job explaining this. (laughs) Anyways, I'll tell you what bothered me about it. You were sitting down and you were eating dinner and I was... I was trying to sit with you and take care of my staff, so I right. was buzzing around. And I looked back, and you were sitting there, and the light glinted off your arms, and it looked like I looked back, and there was something that struck me about that night, too. Like, she's okay sitting at the table by herself. Like, most girls, like, other girls that I dated would not have been, like, don't leave me by myself at the table. Well, I think I sat down with somebody. No, you were sitting with me. Oh, okay. And, but I had kept having to get up and get down. Okay, yeah. And I looked back, and the light was, like, glinting off your arm, and it looked like you had tattoos on your arms. <laughs> like a sleeve of tattoos yeah, like all the way all, down my arms. Yeah, like you're all tatted up, and I was like, oh, no. And those like, people that know me, I mean, that's funny. If you think my my entire arms were tattooed. <laughs> no, but my, it, like, my, my, my heart dropped. I was like, I don't, I'm not attracted to tattoos. Like, I think, I feel like that would be, like, you with the cigarettes. Like, I was women, like. women, Yeah. Oh no! But here's what I want to say: If you're a woman, you have a tattoo. That's that's. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. There's it's some, your taste. I'm not attracted to that. Right. You know, I have people in my family that has tattoos. Your sister has tattoos. I actually like Abby's tattoos. They're yeah. Really cool. But at that time, that just I was like, oh no! But when I realized it was your shirt, I was like, oh, it's just a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we can proceed. <laughs> but anyways, right after the the thing was over, I was feeling. I guess vulnerable with you. I was walking you out to your car and you said, I brought you a gift. And I said, well, this was like staff Christmas party. You don't have to bring a gift. Actually, you did bring. You brought gifts for my staff. You brought all kinds of stuff to that did party. I? Yeah, there was a, a, a coffee cup with a K on it. You said this stands for Kyra. Wasn't it a Dirty Santa thing? Oh, maybe that was why you brought yeah, it. Yeah, that's what it was. It was like a Dirty Santa gift exchange. That's why I brought that. Okay. Yeah. You know, I ended up with that. I still have that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as we were leaving, you know, it was a fun night. You really seemed to engage with everybody. Everybody was, like, overwhelmed by you. Like, where'd she go from? So like, funny. James? Overwhelmed by me. <laughs> no, just because of me. Like, how did you How did you connect with her? She seems all good. <laughs> well, we can't find anything wrong with her. You said, I have a gift for you. And I was like, well... It wasn't that kind of crazy. I don't have a gift for you. Mm-hmm. And I opened it, and it was the Jeremiah twenty nine eleven thing. And when I opened it, it just, like, brought tears to my eyes. And you told me the story. Like, your dad bought that for you and that you felt like you were supposed to give it to me. And then you said, and by the way, that's my life's verse. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> uh, that's my life's verse. So it was just it was one of those little things, like, evidence that something different was going on here that I didn't understand but it just kind of sealed the deal for me. I know I need to keep going, need to figure this out and do the thing. So that was date number two. Three. Three. Yeah. All right, date number four was the next week. You had this tradition of going 
what was the tradition with the movie? That movie. Oh, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, you bought tickets to It's a Wonderful Life at the Alabama Theater. Yeah, again, another nod from my dad. He loved that movie. We watched it every Christmas, (laughs) and I heard it was playing at the Alabama Theater, which is like a really neat experience. It is, and for those of y'all that are not from Alabama, the Alabama Theater is not like going to the Carmike Cinemas. It's an old-school, you know, red velvet they have symphonies there. I mean, it's just... It's, and they have a guy before the movie is playing the piano with everyone singing Christmas carols. Yeah. It's like it's, it's really almost neat. like when you go to Alabama Theater, it's like you're stepping back into the 20s. Right. When everything was, you know, gilded and yes. over the top. and it's, uh, it's Makes me want to go buy tickets right now. Yeah. But, okay, go ahead. <laughs> you were very excited about this date. Yes, I was. you had told me the story about your dad and all the things, and you were just... Uh, over the moon. I actually remember the red shirt I planned to wear and did wear, but something alas. else happened. So Saturday morning, I woke up. My mom had been living. Our date was that Saturday, and so this would be our fourth date. Yeah. But that Saturday morning, I was excited. You know, I woke up. I was feeling good, like I should. <laughs> <laughs> My mom had been living in Phoenix City with her sister Patsy. They had gotten some kind of fight, family drama going on down there, and she had moved in with my cousin Lisa. So she was staying with my cousin Lisa. Apparently everything was whatever. I don't even know what was happening. Okay, pause. When you're telling me that that was this day that we were supposed to go to the theater? Yeah. I did not I don't think I realized that until now. I think that's what made me sick. Okay. I don't think I don't think I knew this until I mean I probably did know it, but I did not connect it. Okay, go ahead. So my cousin Lisa, she called and she said, I need to talk to you, and I just need to shoot straight with you. I need to be honest with you, and I need your help. we got to do something. we got to do something. And I said, what's going on? Now, I didn't, didn't know what to think because from conversations I had with my mom, everything was going great. Mom was staying with her. She was helping her son, Zachary, you know, all the things. And she said, your mom's addicted to pain pills. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I don't mean she's been taking pain pills. I mean... She's over the top addicted to pain pills where she's going around. She's pawned all her jewelry. She's um, done some things. She said she had done that. Mom had done some things with my Aunt Patsy, who's Lisa's mom. Um, One of them was that my Aunt Patsy, she had had rotator cuff surgery, which is a very rough surgery. Mm -hmm. And you have to take pain pills to be able to heal heal through Mm -hmm. that process. Basically, that my mom had went in my Aunt Patsy's medicine and taking her pain pills. While my aunt was at work, mom had went through and taken a Tylenol and carved it out to make it look like a lower tab and put it in her pill bottle, which then, you know, she was going through the pain with the rotator cuff Mm -hmm. stuff. It's just a bad deal. Right. And that was really what happened while they, while mom moved in with Lisa. And I was like, why didn't y'all tell me? Like, why not, why are you keeping stuff like this from me? Um... Long story short, she was pawning all her jewelry. She taking everything she had to get more pills. And my cousin Lisa's, she don't really pay attention. So for her to know what was going on, I, mean, I don't mean she don't pay attention. Well, she's like me, I think. And she's busy. You know, she had right. a full-time job. She worked 40, 50 hours a week. Right. She's raising her kid. And mom's living in the house with her. But she told me she's been going around to different urgent cares trying to get prescriptions. And she said she was concerned and had went through some of her stuff in my mom's bedroom and that she had been getting pills sent from her from somewhere in Birmingham. Some lady was sending her pain pills. And that she felt like it was 
like a problem. Not just a problem that we were on the other side of it. Like she felt like mom could die or something, you know, something. Yeah. And I don't know. There's something about that with everything else that I was dealing with at the time, with the, right. with the Kairos, with all the financial stuff, and then hitting this stride with you where it looks like something different's happened in my life. I'm filled with all this what I call joyful anticipation. Mm-hmm. And here we are again. I got to deal with this. And I almost passed out when she told me because it just it scared me. I, I can't explain the fear that I felt. Like it was just like, but also just an anxiety and an anger. Like I'm not doing this again. I can't do this again. I can't do this with Mama. You know, I have to live my own life. I'm not. I can't. I can't. And we talked for about, I guess, about an hour. And I told her about you. And I, I don't know. I just felt like, why can't I have my life? Why can't I live my life? Why does everything, why does everything have to come against me all the time? Like why, especially like with my mom and family stuff. Like why do I have to deal with this again? And I can't. And so I said, I think we're about two weeks out from Christmas. I said, do this for me. Let's get through Christmas and get through New Year, and let me do some searching. I'm going to find somewhere to put her, some kind of rehab or something. And because I can't, she can't live with me. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. And so we agreed to that, but I told her, don't say anything to mom. If you do, she's going to freak out and it's going to be a deal. So I knew enough people, you know, I, I, by that mm-hmm. time I'd worked at not, I wasn't on staff at the foundry, but I've been working with the foundry. So, right. and that's a, a recovery center outside of Birmingham and Bessemer. And I knew I had enough connections to figure it out, but it was like somebody else is going to have to do it. I'm not doing this again. Right. Because, you know, she came to me in 2000. She lived with me for five years. Right. And, and it was, wasn't that desperate, but there was something, you know, she yeah. had health problems and all. Right. I'm just, I'm not, I can't, I can't. Okay. We I got- can't. <laughs> I can cut some of that out. Yeah. But that was how I felt. Yeah. But after I got off the phone with my cousin Lisa, um, I was just... Like, I felt this wave of just exhaustion just cover me. And I felt like I was going to throw up. But it was a weird feeling because I was felt fine before that phone call. And I went back in. I laid down on the couch. And that's really the last thing I remember for, like, two days. And I remember waking up in a sweat. I, had, I always had, like, chills. And then I was sweating. And then I, I didn't ever throw up. But I couldn't explain what was going on with me. But I slept from like 10 o'clock in the morning to like 4 o'clock. And when I woke up, I called you and I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. You know, I'm sick. And I remember your disappointment and all that stuff. I couldn't pull myself up to go do anything. So I just went back to sleep. And then there was some time during that night, I woke up and you were laying on the couch next to me. Well, and, no, you said I'm going to try. I did? I don't remember. Yeah. So I came over fully dressed and ready to go. That whole day was a blur. So I, you're like, okay, I'm going to try to pull myself together and take something, finish sleeping. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the end thing was, you know, I'm going to try. So come on over. Come. So I came at the time. I was supposed to come and dressed and ready to go. But it was weird because I couldn't explain. Like, I don't have a cough. I don't have a... But you were, like, feverish. I do remember that. And you look really bad. I had a fever when I was sleeping, but I didn't before. Yeah. I don't know if it was just, like, total exhaustion. Anyway, I was super disappointed. Oh, I remember. And, but trying not to show it, but, like... 
No, I felt it. And then also, I mean, but here's a like a woman's perspective. <laughs> you're also trying to because I didn't know any of this with your mom. Well, I didn't know how to tell you that. I know you're defending yourself. You don't need to. I'm just saying I didn't know any of it, and so of course then I'm analyzing: is this just his way of? Oh, you thought I was trying to get out of a date? Yeah, just like not really wanting to. You no. know, you're always... No, but here's the thing. When you're in the moment, mm-hmm. and I didn't knew nothing about your mom. I mean, I, I knew you were sick. I, it looked like you were sick. I could tell you were sick. But also, it was just like, I mean, but was, maybe just like... Well, I don't know. There's it, always... It was a different kind of sick because right. I couldn't say what was wrong with me. Yeah. Like, you can say, oh, I got a head cold. I got a chest cold, you know, I... My butt hurts, whatever, you know, I'm throwing up, whatever. I didn't have any of that. It was just, I couldn't move. And then I remember trying to like help or not help, but just like, can I get you anything? You know, can I do anything? Mm-hmm. You're like, no, no, no. Which, like, like he just doesn't want me here. And I know that. Well, I don't. I'm sick. Right. I don't want anybody bothering so, me. So I tried to like stay a little bit. I mean, you didn't say that, but you I, don't, know. I don't remember that. I remember waking up and you were laying on the couch with me. And I thought, Wow, this is neat. I mean, what's happening here? Wow, I didn't know you thought that was neat. <laughs> no, it was like you were like caring for me. Yeah. And I don't know that I've ever had a woman that cared for me like that. Oh, like sweet. I mean like my mom and my grandma. I'm talking yeah. about like in a like a girlfriend. But you were like laying on the couch with me. Yeah. And but I couldn't wake up. I was like I couldn't wake up. I slept that night I slept all day Sunday, and when I woke up Monday morning, I could not lift myself off the bed. It was just, I don't know what happened. So I took my phone. I thought, I need somebody to take me to the hospital. I cannot drive myself. So I called Denise, and she was like, I'll come get you. And I said, no, I need you to work. If I'm not there, somebody's got to cover me. So I didn't know who to call. I don't, I'm big on not bothering people. I don't like to be a burden. That's just, I don't know if that's my personality type or the what. It just, I don't like to do that. So it did cross my mind to call you, but I knew you were working that day. And I have a friend who's a female who's older than me, who's like somebody I've been done ministry stuff with, that she's a uh, a singer. Like she sings at church and in other places. But I knew she wasn't working. She don't work on Mondays. So I called her and I said, can you please take me to the ho- the urgent care of the hospital or something like that? I don't know. I hate to bother you, but I know. And she was like, of course. So there was no like romantic thing between us. There was just a friendship deal, but she was single. So I guess. Right, right. Whatever. But I mean, she would have been, she had four kids. She was married, but then she was divorced and all things. But I called her because she was my friend, and right. I knew that she was close. She only lived a mile from my house, and that she could take me. I needed somebody to take me. There was no Uber in those days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I could have called a cab. But got to the urgent care. I was there three or four hours, and apparently my friend was posting on Facebook, and it sent you. Well, you got into... now that – honestly, I feel like I'm even understanding myself better now because yeah. – Going from that Saturday night or Friday night, whenever it was. Yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday. That, you know, I was just like, I mean, I knew you were sick, but also just how girls, I mean, women, we just question everything. You know, yeah. like, is that I didn't even want to? You just want me to leave? I don't See, know. I didn't know that like, Yeah, so then you go from that to, oh, now this other woman friend has taken to, <laughs> and she's posting exuberantly, like, um, here he is, we're praying. Wait, I just sent him back. And I was just like... 
WTF. Yeah, you were upset with that. and I, But I didn't understand it. I was like, I was trying not to bother you. And mm. I remember your feelings were hurt. And you said, this was like the first time you ever committed anything to me. And we were only, what, three or four weeks in. Yeah. You said, I want to be your person. I don't want anybody else being your person. And I was <laughs> like, I remember my heart just leaped. And I was like, <laughs> Haley wants to be my person. <laughs> okay, then. But uh, I was also confused that your feelings were hurt because I was like, I didn't, I was trying not to bother you. Right. I, I try not to bother anybody right. on stuff like that. So I thought I was doing the right thing by asking somebody who was not at work that day, who lived a mile from me to give me a ride, who was And let's friend. be honest, you knew her better. You'd been friends for a long time. Yeah, but it but was... But in that moment, I mean, I don't see it through that filter. You didn't know. Yeah. yeah but, but my friendship with her was friendship. There was no... Right, No right. romance, none of that. I mean, she had four kids. She was older than me. I mean, now I know that, but yeah. And she's somebody that I loved. Like, mm-hmm. I love being around her. She sang at her wedding, you know, all things. But, uh, yeah, that was where I felt like the rubber met the road and you committed to me. Yeah, and so that was <laughs> that was December. It was right before Christmas. So anyways, I'm all in. Sounds like you're all in. Here we go. Okay, so <laughs> do you want to talk about what was actually wrong with you? What did the ER people say? What happened there? They could At first, they couldn't forget. Did you survive? <laughs> I made it. I made it through. He said I was dehydrated, I was exhausted, and um, some kind of stomach flu or bug or something Gave me some medicine and sent me home, but told me to rest. Like, your only thing you need to do is rest. But it was hard to rest during that time because we were in the Christmas season. Right. I had work. You know, right. Got all the things going on. And I couldn't afford to miss any opportunities <laughs> to mm-hmm. make money during that season because we were we were on empty. Right. So we got through that. It was bad. I mean, I don't think I told you right away about my mom. I did later on because I felt like I had to. I didn't want to keep secrets. Then we had our next date. Remember what our next date was? No. That was when you wanted me to come meet your family. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Your your memory is so good of what date was what. After the second date, I no, maybe the third date, I'm like, <laughs> okay, what happened next? <laughs> Any details. Yeah, so I wanted you to come meet my family. and But you hyped it up and made it like this big thing, and I was very nervous, very scared. I had sweated your family out on Facebook. You know, I looked at their social media. I had been to your house. <laughs> I saw your mom's house. I knew it was like, these are rich white people. <laughs> I don't have any reason to be associating with all this. So. <laughs> it was something about the way you talked about it. You said everybody was just so excited. And I was like, they don't even know me. Why are they so excited? And you said, really, my family's excited because I've invited you into my world. And whether you know this or not, I don't invite men into my world like this unless I mean it. So that was kind of neat, but at the same time, made me nervous. I think it was that next Friday night. Mm -hmm. I was, I can't tell you the nerves that I had. It was just uh, where you felt like you were, like the spotlight was all eyes on you. What are you going to do? Intimidated. Maybe not just nervous. Nervous, intimidated, all the things. Yeah. And I was getting ready and I was, uh, I think I was brushing my hair. And Jesus spoke to me, and he said, I need you to relax and don't be nervous. You're about to go meet some people that you'll know the rest of your life. And that just, uh, like, whoa. Like, am I hearing from God, or am I making this up in my mind? Like, I put on my best clothes, you know, everything. (laughs) I remember walking in, and 
you were so excited for me to be there and you were introducing me to everybody. I think the first person I actually met was your sister's husband, Sean. Mm-hmm. He like came up to me, hey, James, what do you want to drink? <laughs> All the things. It was a house full of people. I mean, it was just like people for days. And well, I was my family fe- <laughs> can fill up a house real quick, like even more now. <laughs> well, I was feeling, I was just feeling awkward in some kind of way. And I think Hobie was the most outgoing to me. As far as like making me feel welcome. Like, yeah, okay. But Hobie's got that personality. Yeah, he's very good at that. But it was like, I felt like I'm standing here in the kitchen. I've been here for five minutes and everybody's just smiling, looking at me. (laughs) 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 So I'm like, okay, what do we do now? Um, What was your first impression? It's so funny because you say that and I really have to kind of put myself in your position. I understand how you felt that like pressure and like the spotlight and all that. Mm -hmm. And the nerves, you know, like, it's it's good for me to, like, hear that because for me, you know, I like that. I like to be in that position. I don't. I'm like, yes, like, put me in the game, no, coach. I'd like, rather stay. I feel rather. like I present well. I mean, <laughs> I can. I kind of like, I thrive off that kind of thing. So I can, I can appreciate hearing now, like, how you felt so was, nervous. But I wasn't nervous at all. I mean, I was, no, maybe I was a little nervous, but not like you. I mean, I was mm-hmm. more excited. And I was more excited for you to meet them and um But I yeah. met everybody. I met your mom. Your mom had, had surgery on her shoulder, so she was a little subdued. Mm-hmm. But I could tell she was genuinely interested in asking mm-hmm. me questions. I met your brother Hobie, his wife Val. At that time they had two kids, uh Kelsey and Luke. Mm-hmm. I remember Luke was just a bundle of love. Just yeah. he jumped on me. And then um I met your sister Abby, your husband Sean. And they had four kids at that time. But I remember Jones came up to me and was trying to show me his toys. And I was feeling awkward. Like, who's this kid? Like, he's a cute kid. And I remember Val, like, leaned over me. And she said, James, when a two-year-old wants to show you his toys, just just play with him. <laughs> but I, it was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be playing with these kids. I don't. They don't know me. I don't know them. And I think we started eating dinner. And I was sitting with Hobie, and he said, so, and this was in front of everybody, so when are you going to finish writing your book? I'm ready to see what happens next. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, your story that you sent to Haley. <laughs> so I was like, Haley, <laughs> what did you do? Oh, yeah, she forwarded that to all of us. Like, So now everybody had read everything about me before I even met them. And, and I, I was, had actually meant to tell you that before you got there. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept forgetting. I was like, oh, yeah, I meant to mention that I afforded that to everybody I was so in they shock. could like, read about you. I was in shock. I was like, no wonder they're all looking at me, <laughs> wanting to know all the things. <laughs> It was it it was a lot. That was a lot to like try to process. I, I was just like knowing you now because now you're like a slow processor, like trying to register the fact that like all of them knew your <laughs> everything about me. And this was not a, a nice. This was not a Max Lucado book. This was more like a Stephen <laughs> King book. It was bad. It was bad to all the stuff. You know all the things, and I, mean, I was just I was like I didn't tell you to do that, but there was something freeing about that because I realized, oh, they've read all this and they're happy for me to be here. So maybe this is a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, moving forward, it stopped me from having to answer a bunch of questions. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have to, they knew the worst about me when I was on the front end. So it actually ended up being an asset that you did that. So I'm in hindsight, I'm glad you did it, but I was just shocked that you did that and embarrassed. Like I now don't know what to do. (laughs) 
But uh, you decided to give me a tour of the house, and I remember you took me into your mom's room, and the kids were, all the girls were standing on the end of the bed and falling back, straight Mm -hmm. back, and I think it was Emmy. She said, my papa taught us how to do this, and she was telling me how much she missed her papa. So I guess your dad had only been gone for like five months at Mm -hmm. that time. And we were going up the steps. You were taking me upstairs. Like, you were just giving me a tour of the whole house. You were taking me up. You wanted to show me your dad's office upstairs. Mm-hmm. And then Molly, who was like five years old, she was like, are you Aunt Haley's boyfriend? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, I am. And she said, are you going to marry her? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't know. And I said, uh, why do you think? That we should get married. And she said, because you're the same size. <laughs> <laughs> she was so cute. And she had her little freckles, and she was just the cutest little, just, just, I can't even say how cute she was. She was so cute. I mean, they're all cute, but she yeah. was, she was engaging me and asking questions. Right. So, y'all, when are y'all gonna get married? I don't even know if you remember this, but I remember we had that conversation, and then we went in your dad's office, and it was a big, it was like a museum. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, he had all his collections <laughs> of things in there. As we're in there, you're showing me all the little things. Molly found like a, uh, what's the thing that you talk into that amplifies like a bullhorn? Yeah. But it was like a kid size one. Yeah. Megaphone. She led a parade. Chant parade, yeah. <laughs> of her brothers and sisters and cousins and all the people. All the kids came parading into the room and she's in the front with the little bullhorn saying, marry her, marry her. And then they all start saying, <laughs> no, marry. marry her. Yeah, marry, marry her. <laughs> and you, like, you turned blood red and you were trying to tell them to stop. And then they got louder. And then they all started jumping on up and down on the bed. There was a bed in there. They started jumping up and down the bed with a chant, marry her. And you were very uncomfortable. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable. But I thought it was cute. <laughs> yeah. So, um, here we go. But this is, I feel like, so you took their advice. I knew. I told you. I knew after yeah, the second day. I, I just didn't know how it was going to work funny. out. I know yeah. So here we are. What were your thoughts on that? Like when they were marry her and all that. I mean, I was really embarrassed. <laughs> I was very embarrassed. Even though, I mean, I felt you know, like we've said, we both felt that it was yeah. that was going to happen somewhere strange and. Strangely enough, we knew that was where it was going. Well, I told that story to my friend Tanya the next day, and she said, JJ, kids say things that we all see and feel, so just pay attention. Yeah. So, that's true. I mean, that was neat. It was- that's true. But so we're there. I mean, but you're also, I know that you had, which now I know, I actually didn't know before the whole stuff with your mom that was It was a heavy weight. Looming. It was a heavy weight. And that you had said you were going to deal with after Christmas. Yeah. I just needed to get through the holiday. Well, I had so much going on. And the deal with my mom, like, like you've had to go through, not like things like that, but like health stuff with your mom. Mm -hmm. But you have brothers and sisters to lean on. Right. I am no one. Mm -hmm. So I just have to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Here I am. So... Here we go. So, lots of things about to happen. Good things lots coming. Lots of things about to go down. All right. Well, in the next one, I'll tell you, I had one final test for Haley. <laughs> test. I don't know if Which I Which y'all all know I'm going to pass all the tests. I don't know if I'll call it a <laughs> test, but I had the thought that this is going too well, and it can't be, you know, ain't nothing this good. <laughs> 
So my thought was if I could go somewhere with her, like maybe out of town, two or three days, because, you know, Benjamin Franklin had a quote that I believe is true. He said that fish and house guests start stinking after three days because, mm-hmm. you know, you're happy to have people in your house, but then after a few days, like, I wish they would leave. Right. My thought was if I could be around her for three or four days and she don't get on my nerves, then we need to get married. <laughs> That was my thought. Oh, gosh. So I planned a trip to Atlanta, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. ATL, here we come. Hey, hey. All right. It is very exciting. Yeah. But there are some some good, unexpected things coming. Yeah, good stuff. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. All right. Bye. (laughs) See you soon. Bye-bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to all of our podcasts on Apple, Google, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeart, or really just about anywhere you enjoy listening to podcasts. Most of you know about the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and we want you to know we've added two new platforms. The For Real Real, where we talk about real life, things you would never see on a highlight reel. Things that might make you blush and might make you question some things that you never thought about. Unpack the week's hot button issues, current events. Along with the weekly Jamesism and Haleyism. Now you have to tune in to find out what that means. <laughs> Tune in to find out what that means. And there in the gap where I'm sharing with Haley the lessons I learned in getting from where I was to where I was supposed to be. Narrowing the Gap is a teaching companion to the Straight Out of Prison podcast where he really digs into some of the profound lessons that he learned and had to walk out in his journey in prison and coming out of prison. Or download the Patreon app and you can get all of our content early and ad-free. Straight out of prison podcast, the for real, real, and there in the gap. Listen on Apple, Google, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Other ways you can support us is to like and share the episodes of the podcast. Leave us a rating and a review. And support our sponsors. They help us provide this platform for free. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. And again, thank you guys for being a part of our story. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. It's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. 
Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was in his integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If, if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keeley at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast lynn and debbie hurst who own hurst towing and recovery in fultondale and hayden alabama they serve the jefferson blunt and surrounding counties they tow light and heavy duty vehicles and they're always there to help we wouldn't call anybody else we would never call anybody else and that's a fact would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family the Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOES. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to chefjameskjones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. 